Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Anything. It's a short answer. (laughs) So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) You had it here first. (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. This week, I'm here with Saskia Leach from the Kate Nash Literary Agency. Hi, Saskia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. It's actually been a little while since um, since we've had a, a, an agent on. So, so let's start with your role at, at Kate Nash Literary. Your, your title is agent's assistant, but that's not to say that you're not building a a list of your own where's the distinction sort of there yeah so I'm in that kind of weird in between a stage at the moment where I'm an assistant with clients so normally um, in literary agenting um, you'll assist um, an agent or a couple of agents um, at the agency for a while uh, and then once you've been doing that for a bit um, you're allowed to take on clients of your own uh, and then I presume each agency has their own kind of threshold for when the assistant becomes a junior agent, but sometimes it's after you've hit a certain number of clients or sometimes it's after you've hit a certain number of deals um, and then you get to wear your junior agent's hats rather than the agent's assistant hats. But that's where mm. I am at the moment. I'm the, the in-betweener assistant <laughs> with clients. Okay, yeah. In, in, from from what I've, uh, the agents I've spoken to and just what I know about the industry, it is pretty par for the course to be for the position you're in where you're kind of straddling two roles at, at the same time. Yeah, and it's um, it's something that I think some people find a bit of a minefield at first because like you said, mm. you are essentially doing two jobs where you're assisting your senior colleagues with their clients, but also looking for clients of your own. And then once you've got those clients, you're then taking care of those clients and working on them with their projects. And I, I think a good skill to have as um, as an agent or an agent's assistant is um, multitasking and you have a lot of plates spinning at once, but I wouldn't have yeah. it any other way. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Let's, let's, start by let's sort of try and break those two things apart so when you you know when you first started at the agency you you were agent's assistant but you hadn't started building your your list yet what's the kind of day-to-day role from just the agent's assistant yeah I'll um I'll cycle a bit further back actually because I had a bit of um, an unusual um pathway um into the world of literary agenting in that I started as an agency trainee as opposed to an agent's assistant um, cause I was one of the, I guess, unlucky people to um, finish university in that chapter of my life during COVID, uh, mm. during lockdown, where 
stuff like work experience opportunities had just completely dried up. And I knew I wanted to go into literary agenting, but I had absolutely zero experience or even work experience. Um, but I was really lucky that at Kate Nash Literary Agency, they were starting up um, a traineeship program uh, where I was taken on with absolutely no experience. Um, and I had six months where I could learn about what's the role of assistant and then what the role of agents would entail. Um, I was able to familiarise myself with the authors already at the agency and their books. Um, and I was able to be trained on all of the things that I didn't know about, like the market and trends or get more knowledge on areas of the market that I was less familiar with. So with me, I wasn't as familiar with sagas and that part of the market. Um, and also I was able to attend conferences and courses on things like editing and shadow my colleagues on meetings with authors and meetings with editors and see how those kinds of things are conducted. And I'm really grateful that I had that valuable time to learn the ropes and get to grips with the industry without having the responsibilities of assisting yet. Um, and then at the end of that six months, I then became an assistant and ended up doing all of those things for real. Oh, right. So it sounds like it was a sort of um, here's six months, take the initiative and sort of follow us or, or go to as much stuff as you want and just absorb all of the things that, that you want. And then we'll see where you're at when that's over. Exactly. Yeah. And I was, um, I was the first person they'd done that with. So I was kind of the guinea pig for their traineeship. <laughs> um, but we've had two people after me also go through that same process, um, including uh, Beth Ferguson, who uh, is now an assistant and is taking on her first client. So it's something that, um, from our perspective at least, has worked really well. And it's something we've been very grateful for. Um, and it gave us a really nice introduction into that role of agent's assistant that we then both ended up taking on. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds great. It sounds like, because I think with, and this is true of so many jobs where kind of almost regardless of what your previous qualifications are, you'll spend the, spend the first six months just learning how to fit into the new kind of workspace anyway. So giving that opportunity to people who are kind of fresh and young and ready to learn. Sounds, sounds like, sounds like it's working out really well. Absolutely. And something that I think a lot of people um, who are job hunting in publishing will agree is really infuriating is when you see entry level roles advertised, but they're asking for something like two years experience. And it's <laughs> yeah. that whole vicious cycle of how am I going to get experience if everywhere <laughs> wants you to have experience. So it, it was really lovely that, that Kate Nash was offering this opportunity for people with no experience to get that coveted, valuable experience that everyone seems to want. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that the the agency is expanding then it's growing because you're, you're obviously taking on new people but not really um losing people i yeah i think i think it's fair to say um that we are expanding i mean we have also um had agents in the past who um have moved on to other ventures so um mm. it's not as if we've been dramatically expanding but um no i think it's fair to say that um, the agency is growing at the moment and it's a really exciting time with me building a client list and also um, my colleague Beth starting to take on her first clients and we've got a lot of new authors coming into the agency and a lot of new projects on the horizon so it's a, a really exciting time to be working there at the moment. Yeah sounds great so speaking of you building your list how so how long were you working as an, as as the agent's assistant before you started taking on your own list? I'd 
I'd been working at the agency for slightly over a year uh, when I was able to take on clients and I found my mm -hmm. first client relatively quickly. Um, she's called Anna Britton and her book's coming out this October, funnily enough. But um, I, yeah, I'd been there um, just over a year. Um, yeah, and that was when I was able to take on clients for the first time. Okay. We, I mean, it must've been a little bit nerve wracking because obviously you've been there a year, you've been kind of like, you know how it works, but there's a difference between sort of watching someone else do it and, and, and actually kind of doing it yourself. Yeah, definitely. And you can do all the shadowing and, you know, all, all of the training and have all the conversations, but there's kind of no substitute for experience and for doing it yourself. And it is just a case mm. of kind of jumping into the deep end and having those meetings on your own uh, with your authors and picking it up as you go along. But um, I'm, I've worked with a really lovely bunch of authors um, and I, the experience can have been nicer uh, working with them and having them uh, as my clients as I was doing this for the first time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine, so um, as far as I'm aware, and we had Kate Nash on the podcast a while ago. She kind of explained it to me that the way that submissions work, which is, I think is, it's probably not unique to Kate Nash literary, but it's, but it's, uh, it's not the norm is that the, all the submissions come into one place when people submit, they don't sort of direct them to all of the agents at the agency. Did that help as someone sort of learning the role and sort of beginning to take on their list? Was it helpful that you kind of all, the submissions is such a sort of community, it's, it's, it's like a committee thing where you guys decide which we're going to pick up together as a group? Yeah, that's correct. We've got a centralised inbox at Kate Nash. And like you said, I'm sure we're not the only agency that have this approach, but you do perhaps see a lot of agencies where uh, each agent has got their own inbox and you submit mm -hmm. direct to them. Uh, but it was really nice because it meant that we didn't get into that scenario where everyone's submitting to the most experienced agent rather than the yeah. person that hasn't been doing it for as long or is taking on their first clients. Um, and also we're, as a group, we're really good at knowing each other's interests and each other's areas. And we do have our own areas that are kind of unique to us, but we also have areas of overlap. So for example, all four of us take on clients in crime and thriller, but mm -hmm. within this, we're quite good at knowing when a crime story is a Kate story or when a crime story is a Saskia story. And that's something that we know because we know each other and our likes very well. And it's not necessarily something that someone on the outside would know. So it's really good that we're able to be collaborative in our approach to submissions and have those discussions when a promising book comes in going, okay, out of the four of us, who's going to be in the best position to take this on or whose interest does this most uniquely align with or who's got some kind of interest outside of work that taps into this part of the story so would be the best person to take it on and I, I really like having this kind of group approach to submissions and with regards to who then requests a full manuscript and takes a look at things further. Yeah well that my next question was going to be how do you guys you know if you if you you decide as a group yeah well this is a this is a great submission let's take this to the next step and then beyond there, I was going to say, what, how, how do you, how do you kind of, do you, do you guys like put forward your points in debate and be like, no, I, I really want this because of this. And then is there ever a situation where two or more of you are like, no, but I really want to represent this one. Yeah, we do sometimes have something come in <laughs> where you've got more than one agent wants it. And then we fight to the, we don't really fight to the death, um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, no, we, 
we, we do, it would then be a discussion um, over who's going to take a look at it. Or sometimes it'll be a case of, oh, well, this person has got the most time at the moment and they'll be able to read it the quickest. So they'll take a look at it. But if they decide it's not for them for whatever reason, rather than them mm-hmm. rejecting it, they can pass it to this agent that was also interested. So we're, we're quite good at sharing the workload that way. Um, and, yeah. and using that to decide things if there is an author that's got agents fighting over them. Yeah. I guess it's also to do with, um, the, you, you can factor in like the space on your list. Obviously you uh, are going to have more space on your list and, and kind of more time available than, than Kate does. Cause Kate already has, you know, a pretty extensive list. Yeah. And, and, and Kate and Justin are both, um, very generous, um, as well with their time mm-hmm. and with allowing, um, me and Beth to kind of have that space to build our lists and to say, oh, well, you know, you've got more spaces than we have. So do you want to take a look at this? And um, they're, they're both, they're both very generous like that. Okay. Okay. So how many, um, how many authors do you represent now? I've currently got 12 authors, uh, that I'm looking okay. after, but, um, ever, ever increasing and, and hopefully yeah. it will be much more very soon. <laughs> That's a great, I, I always say to people, um, People will sometimes message me or DM me and, and ask for tips on like which agents to submit to or, or like how to submit to agents and things like that. And and I'll say one thing that I have observed is that um, whilst any agent is always going to be, you know, on the lookout for picking up something if they think it's absolutely amazing and going to absolutely smash publishing wide open, you will always have a better chance um, submitting to uh, someone like, like yourself who is in the process of building a new list who's kind of new newer on the scene because and it's not necessarily a subjective decision it's more of a practical decision if you're submitting to someone like who's been in the industry forever their lists are so big that them adding someone to that list is is such a huge consideration you know like they they cuz they're going to have to give that person the same amount of time as they give all of their other authors so i, I always encourage people to uh I think it's always worth putting putting a submission in for younger, up and coming um, agents like yourself. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Absolutely. Junior agents and agents assistants with clients are going to be really hungry to find material and build their mm-hmm. lists. So I would definitely recommend approaching them. And something else as well that um, agents, no matter what stage in their career have to factor in is whether the submission they're looking at, no matter how amazing or promising it is, whether it's too close to something already on their list, because you don't mm-hmm. want to end up in a scenario where an opportunity comes up and you don't know which author to put forward for it because you've got two things that are very similar or two things that are even going to be competing against each other for certain things. You always want to be able to give your best service to an author and you know, give them the full hundred percent rather than, oh, well, it's going to have to be this person this time and that person next time. So yeah. whilst you're always going to have 
you know, more than one crime author or more than one romance author in terms of subgenres or really specific um, areas within that. You don't want to have things that are going to be so close that authors are competing against each other and because that's just not in the author's best interests. And as an agent, you always want to act in the best interest of every single author you take on. Yes, exactly. Because then you'd have to you'd have to jump through even more hoops because it'd be like, okay, so we'll have to stagger your releases so that you two don't come out at the same time, which is like inconvenient and you have to like, yeah, it's it's a whole situation. But that yeah, yeah, yeah very good point. And just the same thing is like, you know, the bigger the list, the more chance there is that your book has a lot of similarities with other books in the list. So Precisely. junior agents, we're here for you. Let's go. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> And whilst we're on the topic of submissions, um, and this is something I ask all the agents that come on, because I think it's 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 really interesting. Uh, literary agents often approach these things in, in in different ways. So I'd love to hear how you do this when you sit down to to go through a submission. You, you open open it up or whatever, um, and at, at the agency, it's a cover letter, one page synopsis, and the opening chapter or the proposal and the chapter by chapter for nonfiction. Um, what order do you go through the submission and where do you focus in the most? Yeah, every agent will have a completely different approach to submissions. And even within our agency, we have our own personal approaches. Um, for me, I read the query letter first, then I'll look at the writing sample and then I'll look at the synopsis last. But there mm -hmm. are a few specific scenarios where I won't actually read the synopsis until I've read the full manuscript. Uh, and an example uh. of that would be that, say, if it's a, a murder mystery or an intricately plotted cozy crime, for example, that's something where I think it's important that I go in blind as any reader would to make sure that um, the solution is satisfying or that certain things aren't too obvious or aren't too subtle or that red herrings are genuinely red herrings and it's good for me to go in not already knowing the solution and knowing what the author's intentions are and then after I've then read the full manuscript if I've requested the full to then go to the synopsis and then make that judgment on okay they considered this person to be a suspect but actually I didn't suspect them all that much when reading but maybe my viewpoint would have been a bit different had I been going into it knowing from the synopsis that that person was meant to be a suspect so that's an example where I think it is really beneficial to go in blind um but typically I will read a synopsis before the full manuscript that's just a a, a quite niche example of where I wouldn't um and I definitely put the most the most weight and the most importance on the writing sample because um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day the query letter is really only going to be seen by the agent and synopses can be rewritten or plots can be tweaked or restructured but at the end of the day if the if the writing isn't stand out or up there then the submission will fall down and it isn't going to get anywhere and even if it's the best idea in the world if, if the writing isn't there then it's not going to get picked up by a publisher so the the writing is far and away the most important thing for me even to the degree that if I'm reading the writing sample or the full manuscripts and I think that the author's writing is really promising but maybe the idea needs a bit of work or it needs some restructuring or the the plots needs tweaking in certain places I might even offer the author representation either subjects to a couple of conditions or with a view to me then working with that author editorially or structurally to get that book submission ready right okay that's really interesting 
Um, and obviously, of course, makes sense. The writing is always going to be the uh, the front and center mo- most important thing. Interesting that you you won't read a synopsis for more specific genre stuff, but it makes yeah when you the way you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. You, especially when it comes to you do like a murder mystery. When it comes to red herrings, if you know wh- uh, you know who done it uh, as you're reading it. Um, a red herring almost seems like a mistake, a just kind of a kind of like, why is that there sort of question, since you already know the answer. Exactly. In terms of in terms of the query letter, uh, what kind of things because I know <laughs> I can speak for a lot of authors uh, and 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 uh, aspiring writers who absolutely hate and dread writing the query letter. What kind of things are you sort of like looking for? What kind of catches your eye in a query letter? Um, I think in all honesty, query letters that aren't too long. I think it's really tempting for an author to kind of write their life story into a query letter when it's really not needed. So I I'd say keep the query letter to the bare bones and to the, just the information that the agent needs. So introducing Mm -hmm. yourself, your title of your book, the genre word counts, um, and any comparisons to authors, books, film, TV, or, it's quite good to describe your book as it's X meets Y, um, yeah. saying whether you've had any um, interest from other agents, whether that's in the form of a full manuscript request or whether you've had an offer of representation. It's always really good to say that upfront in your query letter, if you're in that scenario or if that happens afterwards to then follow up on the same email thread with that. So then an agent knows that your submission is now time sensitive. Mm-hmm. Something else that's really good to include as part of your query letter is an elevator pitch or a one-line hook. Because so often as agents, we're asked by a publisher or by an editor to pitch our author's book in one line um, or to tell them what the what the hook is. So if as an author, you can prove that your book has got this quality from the off, then it's going to make your whole journey so much easier I would then include a short form um, blurb or synopsis, just getting across the essence of your story. Um, And then it's really good just to include a little bit about you as an author, uh, whether you're writing full time, whether you've got a day job and whether you've got any experience that's particularly relevant to what you're writing, whether that be uh, life experience, anecdotal, a job. So, for example, if you're a retired police detective that's now writing a crime novel, that's something that's really good to include as well. Yeah. Okay. So short and sweet is the name of the game. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. That's it, that's good to know. And I think it'll be very helpful for lots of people who are trying to to, to put together their submissions. And I'm, I'm sure they'll be happy to hear that short is good. <laughs> are there any... Um, are there any red flags, whether it be in the in the in the query letter or or the manuscript itself or the synopsis, that immediately kind of put you put you off a submission? Um, one thing that maybe won't put the agent in the greatest of moods is if the query letter is a very clear, generic, cut and paste job, uh, rather than being mm. personalised to the person um, that you're querying, or if you're querying in a genre that the agent says on their website or on their Twitter that they don't represent. It just kind of shows that you've not really done your research into who you're querying. So I do think it is worth to take the time to really research who you're querying, um, what they're looking for. Uh, If they've said there's anything they don't represent, then really 
take heed with that and to to take the time to personalize your query letter to the specific agency. Um, it's time consuming having to write several versions of the same query letter for the specific person, but it's something that is definitely worth your while to do. Yes. And what the advice I also hear um, is when you, when you kind of, se- obviously you're not going to send, well, I mean, you could, but it's unlikely that someone is going to have their finished manuscript and they're going to submit to like one agent and then wait. The, usually I, I hear people's, people suggest submit to maybe five to 10 agents and then wait. And once you get responses back, maybe look at another group of agents. Is that about the ballpark that you would recommend? Yeah, we know realistically that authors aren't just going to be querying us. We know that they're going to be mm-hmm. querying in batches or sending out to a really, wi- a really wide pool of people. So it's, de- it's definitely good to, to spread the risk by querying in numbers for sure. Yes, but not so many that you can't uh, research each of the agents and you're just doing a huge carpet bombing situation. Don't do that. So what's on your list? Uh, what kind of stuff do you represent and, and what sort of stories and characters are you looking to add to it? So I represent in commercial fiction and at the moment I'm really looking for a cosy crime, uh, whether that's golden age or historical or contemporary. Um, I'd really like it to be in an unusual or an unconventional setting or location, uh, but cosy crime is something that I'm really after. I'd really also love to have a World War II historical from a kind of women's fiction perspective so rather than it being a thriller in the trenches with lots of guns in the middle of the war zone I'd like it to be um, from a civilian or female perspective people normal people with normal lives who are having their everyday existence completely turned upside down by what's happening or even when you have a normal person who's then put into the unusual situation of the war such as having to spy or being put behind enemy lines or something like that. Normal people having their lives turned upside down by conflict is something that I find really interesting to read about. In the vein of Heather Morris, that's probably quite a good comparison for something that I'm really looking for at the moment. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. That's uh, two very prescriptive uh, uh, things that, you, that you're after. That I'm, I'm sure people listening will will uh, will love that and they'll get right involved. Um, before we get to the final question, uh, I would like to ask, so for all the aspiring writers out there, what advice would you give to them um, if they're trying to make their submissions stand out from the rest? Oh, that's a really difficult question because a lot of the time it just it just comes down to um, it just comes down to the idea or there mm-hmm. being something that appeals to you personally. The the only advice that I can really give is write really well and have a really good idea. But that's probably not helpful at all to any author that, that's querying. Yeah. Um, in in in, ter- in terms of advice, it's it's definitely good to have resilience um, mm-hmm. when when querying because it is a hard a hard road and there is a lot of rejection. But think of it as every no you get is one step closer to a yes. Yeah, and it's e- easy to lose sight of the fact that it is a very subjective thing, and a rejection doesn't necessarily mean. I hated it. It's terrible. It can also mean I have something on my list that's too close to this. My list is too full. Uh, it's just not the right time. You know, there's so many different variables that go into a rejection. Yeah. And if it's, um, 
if it's a submission that we've taken to our submissions meeting where we've discussed it between the four of us, or if it's something that we've liked enough to request a full manuscript for, but have decided not to represent for various reasons, we will give the author feedback if they're submission is to get to either of those points and give them some feedback on why we ultimately decided not to take it on whether that be like you said it being more of a logistical decision such as it being too close to something on our list already or whether it comes down to something specific to do with the writing or the plot or how marketable it is we will try to be as helpful as possible in explaining to an author why we ultimately decided not to go with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It always a good sign when you're getting feedback, um, about your submission from agents. If, uh, it's always a good sign that you, you're, you're getting close because, because generally there's, there's too many submissions for agents to give feedback on everything, but if they're giving feedback, it means that they have, you've been taken to at least one or two steps of consideration closer than, than a lot of people. Definitely. If you're getting feedback, then you're doing something right. <laughs> okay, great. So that brings us to the final question, which is, as always, Saskia, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you like to have with you? Now, my gut instinct is that I'd want something to be pretty long as I'm going to be stuck for things to do on a desert island. Mm -hmm, so the first mm -hmm. title that came to my mind is The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. But I'm now thinking that this book is so sad and I'm probably going to be pretty miserable <laughs> already if I'm stranded on a desert island. So maybe I should be taking something a bit more uplifting. But the book that is one of my favorite books of all time. So I, I think I've mm -hmm. got to stick with that, even though it would just make me cry even more. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you've got to stick to your guns. And I think if some people have taken sad, sad books as well. Um, beautiful books, though, at the same time. I think it's a great choice. Uh, yeah, it, it, a lot of the time I'll say the first thing that comes to mind is usually the best, the best option. So a great choice all around. Thank you so much, Saskia, for coming on the, the, the podcast and telling us all about your, your work and how things are going over at um, Kate Nash Literary Agency. It's been really interesting and really great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fantastic. And for anyone wanting to keep up with what Saskia is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at SaskiaLeach underscore or on Instagram at Saskia.reads. And if you're thinking about submitting, head over to the Kate Nash Literary Agency website. You'll have all of the instructions and details of what you need to do, how you need to shape and form your submission. And then when you send it in, it'll be to the, to the communal box. Unfortunately, you can't directly target Saskia, but she will be involved if you send that submission in and to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow along on twitter instagram tiktok and facebook you can also support the show over on patreon and for more bookish chat check out my other podcast the chosen ones and other tropes thanks again to saskia and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you in the next episode <laughs>